Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I had to ring school and say, look, you're going to have to make some excuse up for me because no way can we get that today. <laughs> well, we've wondered... Hello and welcome. This is episode 20 and the grand finale of the main series of the Paul Ryder Tapes. I'm Angela Smith, the ex-wife of Paul, founding member and bassist with Happy Mondays, as well as being a singer in his side project Big Arm and a musician in several other groups. This all began after I played Paul the pilot episode of another podcast that I'd made, which gave us the idea of doing a podcast together for him to tell his complete life story, not just the successes, but the struggles too. A book, a new album of previously unreleased solo material would follow. Paul was excited about this project and he hoped that in sharing his experiences, it would help some people who might be going through similar difficulties. Neither of us had any idea that 12 days after we would finish recording his story, that he'd be dead. You've sat with us, you've laughed with us, you've cried with us and shared in the journey of his incredible life and heard him confess to some pretty shocking things. But there's much more in this final episode of the main series coming up. The window was open and I crept up behind you and grabbed the phone off you. Mm, I don't remember And saw this this text thread, conversation with you and this woman. It was obviously there was something going on between you, so I called her. We met Ronnie Biggs, uh, great show. Well, it's nice to meet somebody who played such a, an historical moment in British history. And we met Piers Morgan, who actually said I spiked his burger. So there was me and you and your new partner and her ex-husband yeah. <laughs> and their kids all around the Christmas dinner table. Yeah. Before drugs and everything, I didn't. I was more of a beer monster and they, they disappeared. And I wondered why they're coming back happy, what they're doing. Oh, smoking weed, weren't they? They didn't tell me about it. 
the other project that you're doing in collaboration with Gaz is a movie. It's the movie. <laughs> the movie. <laughs> so it's about a Manchester band who existed 25 years ago and they're offered this uh, great chance to get back together. Right. With, um, but with a uh, unsavoury type manager. <laughs> <laughs> if you find it and put it back on, but no, it doesn't work like that. If you find it and put it back on, it's too late. You definitely get yourself tested for everything. First, we're going to go back in time to a story that's so iconic that we saved it for the last episode in this run. I'm just going to say three words. Brazil, February 1991. We're going back in time here, but we never talked about Brazil. The Ronnie Biggs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Talk to us about that. Yeah, we played this festival in Brazil, Rock in Rio. And leading the party charge was, of course... Bears. For me, that was the Mondays at the maddest. We had such a great time. And we were in the hotel with Guns N' Roses and all that's actually caused fucking chaos. Like, you won't believe how fucking mad we was, like. There's no words could describe it. And we was actually putting a hotel with Guns N' Roses away from all the other acts because we were deemed as the two mad rock and roll bands. And Guns N' Roses were quite, no... They rock and roll, but in like a proper rock and roll American way. They look like your fucking typical rock stars, where we look like just a bunch of fucking knobheads from some way. <laughs> and for Monday's guitarist Mark Day, Brazil was also voted the most memorable. It would probably have to be in Brazil. We were put on last because of some technical error, because there was a thunderstorm. And you've got Guns N' Roses, you've got Wham!, and you got Piers Morgan on the plane and he was watching us and I did this gig and then it pissed down, didn't it? Typical Manchester weather and there's 150,000 people in the pissing rain. And then they all started leaving and all of a sudden they all started coming back. They were getting into it. It was like at first they didn't, oh, who's this lot? Never heard of him before. They start leaving and then they started coming back because they saw what was going on and it was a really fantastic gig. Did you interact with Guns N' Roses? Uh, we said hello, we said hello to him. I've actually said hello quite a few times to him in, in, over the years. But we didn't really hang out in, in any sort no. of way. I don't think we was cool enough for him. Or maybe they weren't cool enough for you. <laughs> yeah. And we got invited up to Ronnie Biggs's house with Piers Morgan, who was working for The Sun at the time. We did, yeah, we met Ronnie Biggs, a uh, great show. Well, it was nice to meet somebody who... Plays such an historical moment in British history. Paul's friend Dave was struck by how nonchalantly Paul had mentioned this escapade to him a short time after. He said we went up there and we just went to meet him and, and sit by his pool and he just ended up staying there for ages. And then he went on to the, the next bit of conversation about how he likes Holt's beer and everything. But this was it, you didn't know, you didn't know whether he was going to talk about loving fried eggs, needing to go and, uh, and get some money for some cigarettes or sitting by a swimming pool with Ronnie Biggs, or having a laugh with Roy Wood. And I think that, that was the, the sort of enduring memory about Paul, is that uh, it was just this kaleidoscope of seemingly random, but all, I've no doubt, all dead true. It was great meeting Ronnie Biggs. And he, he also said, you're the best band that has ever visited, because a lot of people go and see him, or went to see him, 
and he he enjoyed our company. Did so it? we got on really well with him, yeah. What did he talk about? His poetry, his escape from prison, his life in Brazil. He was really open and, and like quite quite good to talk to. Did you stay in touch with him afterwards? No, I think Mozart did, who was our tour manager at the time, stayed in touch with Mikey, his son, right. who was a child pop star in Brazil. Really? He had lots of gold and platinum discs all over his, his walls. And Mother's memory of that time is crystal clear. Rio was just wild. We, we went, fucking you know, after to take okay, so... So we get to Rio, I'm fucking always just out with this one. Rio was just wild. We, Sean's got this bird and... Uh, got this little groupy bird, and so we're all... That was from the point where I was doing it better after his nut. We're all off the nut. But I don't take coke then. Uh, I put everyone's on it. Rowetta didn't miss out on the party either. Piers Morgan did the bizarre column at the time in the right. sun. So the sun took us over, it was saying, even though we were going over for Rock in Rio, they, he took us to Ronnie Biggs's house for the day and it was brilliant. I sat with Ronnie Biggs's son for a long time, he was only 16. But yeah, I know we had the best time, Rock in Rio, because the guitars didn't turn up on time, so we ended up getting an extra couple of days. But yeah, it was a day, it was a day out with Ronnie Biggs, um, at Ronnie Biggs's house, it was fantastic. And yeah, Bez was making the burgers, is what um, Piers Morgan says, and spiked him. <laughs> so he's a... That's what Piers Morgan says. He was, he was dancing like a, a hippie something for hours, eight hours. <laughs> what, well, he thinks Bez spiked him? He said, in, I don't know what Bez put in those burgers, but I was dancing uh, like a something for eight hours. Yeah, right, right. yeah I, don't, I don't remember Bez being in charge of any burgers. I don't think anybody was hungry. Piers Morgan, yeah, yeah. I actually said I spiked his burger, but I, I never did, you know what I mean? But I did smoke, sniff an ounce of coke on the plane next to him on the way home. And he pretended to be asleep all the way. And I was under a blanket like that, me and Paul Davis. Yeah, but uh, I suppose that's a story you shouldn't be telling, really. <laughs> no, five pound a gram, though, the coat was. It was very strong. So we were all, we were all struggling to get it down us. There's an infamous story in Brazil about, about some ladies of the night. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell us that story? The truth. The truth. That one's actually true. And Muzza remembers it well. So we go to this club called Out with Rowetta. It's 20 odd of us. They've got 18 prostitutes come back. Everyone's goes up. Gaz and uh, Mark Day, it was just like invisible because there was just so much going on. They were so quiet. Go yeah. to the room and lock the room door where there's fucking chaos. <laughs> Telly's over the balcony. I'm fighting with Guns and Roses because he's Nick Sean's bird. Uh, Axel, Axel Rose, I've had to put it on him, he says something to me, and Sean's going, yeah, he'll fucking, he'll batter you, as I said to me, you'll fucking batter me, I'm going, I'm fucking hell, I'm walking around, I'm with Ronnie Biggs, the, 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 the old train robber, who's my idol, uh, he's in my room, starting his brains off, and I'm thinking, so we go back to the club called out, Rowetta's getting threatened, because there's 2,000 prostitutes in there, and they think Rowetta's stepping on the, on the toes, so these what a batter of Oh, Sean's saying, yeah, yeah, fuck it. Nah, nah, nah. And, but these girls, fucking gorgeous, Anthony. Even thing I remember, they're kissing you and they're touching you. And, and you've never done anything like it. It's like a 10 handed massage. Your hands are down your pants <laughs> and getting strokes and looking and saying they love me. And thinking, fucking hell, she loves me. And fucking, she's a prostitute. I'm going, fucking hell. Rowetta remembers it well. It was swarming with them at the hotel. Slash was in the pool. Um, Bez had to get $50 off me to get rid of his because she, she wouldn't leave. The day after, he said, I'll buy you a handbag. I was like, one handbag. He's like, you had to try and get rid of his. Um, he was with us. He lost a condom up his. 
And he said, he rang me from his, from his room phone and went, if you find it and put it back on, but no, it doesn't work like that. If you find it and put it back on, it's too late. You definitely get yourself tested for everything. The only Derek, Mark Day, and Gaz did take a bird back. All the crew, every one of us. Paul's got two, Sean's got two, Bez has got four. People had paid this girl who was a lady of the night, and she ended up in my room falling asleep. So I took the money back out of the purse. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was a good idea because we got we could have got thrown in jail actually. Really? For robbing her, it was a robbery. <laughs> we ended up giving it her back in the morning because it was like, shit, shouldn't have done that. She'll go to the police. Anyway, in the morning, I've, I've gone to get them up. Sean, they want them paying. Manager shouted me down, the police are there, it's quite heavy. So I've got to pay these prostitutes and the police are there. So I paid the police some of And these prostitutes, they can't even stand up, but the skirts are hanging off, the bras are not on. The hotel manager's going mad to try and get them out to dress them up. Um, so I paid them all, gone upstairs, I said, what the fuck's going on? And they just saw something, they just laughing like this. And then on the way back on the plane, all the crew was at the back. Me and Sean was in first class, because Piers Morgan was doing an interview with Sean. And they had blankets at the back, because on them days we could smoke weed and everything. Oh, we did smoke weed, not that you could, but we just fucking, when the plane's in the air, we're smoking, snorting. So I watched the back of the plane, and there was just blankets like tents, and all you could hear was everyone snorting. And there was, why we got our fans, there was all police waiting for us. They've opened the door. It's just a line of police. I'm thinking, oh, fuck. Everyone's getting nicked. They've gone, you over there to me, Sean. You over there. They snorted from Rio to London. Right? And then when we get next, we've got half an hour left there having bigger lines. And But it's a blanket of fucking... They put the blankets all over the... They've made tents. Now, and underneath, everyone's just having lines and smoking. We believe they've been taking cocaine. And some mates all gone. And they've gone, what? So he's fucking finished. He ain't smuggling now. We don't smuggle, we just fucking take it. <laughs> but, yeah, it was true. Wow. <laughs> OK, rock and roll. Paul's friend Dave never knew what to expect when he got together with Paul. Yeah, I was at his house one time and he said, just a minute, he's on the phone next day. And he said, yeah, 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 all right then. And uh, put the phone down. I said, who was that? And he goes, oh, it's uh, Robbie Williams. Just in passing. And whereas any one of these little things to people who are not in that world... Seemed like a big deal. Mm. And, but they were, I think so many people liked Paul because he, 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 was, just, he, was, he was just nice. You know what I mean? Just nice. And I think you, you know more than anyone. You know, it's nice. So we left off the last episode as Paul was saying that he was glad that his cheating days were over. All that sneaking around is not good for your soul. No. No. What do you think motivates people? To do it, yeah, um, a variety of different reasons. Like I said, mine was sex addiction. All that sneaking around—it's like getting a high off it. You actually enjoy getting away with it. I must do, yeah. Yeah. I remember you got very accusatory of me, oh. like I'd come back late from something. You've been with another man. I think that's normal when somebody's cheating. Yeah, they, they project, project it onto it. the partner, don't yeah. they? But then you could also argue that infidelity, it, there's a reason for it. Like, if you're really happy in your relationship, then it surely doesn't cross your mind, does it? Not with this relationship I'm in now. It's never crossed my mind. Right. Exactly, that's that's yeah. my point. So what I'm trying to say is that 
it's not necessarily just one person's fault. Mm. Like that, it comes as a result of something being wrong in the relationship, and yeah. and that's about two people and what two people are bringing to the table. I'm trying to give you a bit of a break here. I know. I know. No, but you, obviously Mike, there was something wrong. There was the thing that was wrong was me with with the addiction. I couldn't get clean and stay clean. Right. That was the big thing. Yeah. And I was beating myself up every time I relapsed. Right. Which doesn't leave me in a good headspace, hence three years in the back bedroom. Right. Depressed as hell. Right. So then you see, like, another woman, uh, something else to think about. Is it like a distraction? Yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to give you excuses here at all, but I'm just trying to look at it from your point of view, mm. from your side of the table. It, just to change the way you feel. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a drug. You do it to change the way you feel. Yeah. Does it work, though? For a minute. Yeah. Like shopping works for a minute. Right. I went through my shopping addiction did. phase, didn't I? You did. Talk about that. Love shopping. Still love shopping now. Mm-hmm. But I, could, I don't have to buy everything I see. Right. That's the difference these days. I know I don't have to buy stuff. But right. I do enjoy looking around at clothes, in clothes stores. Yeah, but you don't look around and not buy anything. I have done. Yeah? Yeah, it's been known. And they've not got your size. <laughs> no, I've put stuff back that I would have bought in the past, I would have bought. Yeah. Just to buy. Yeah. Paul's love of shopping, particularly for clothes, seems to have come from his dad's side of the family, according to Paul and Sean's mum, Linda. Derek's mother worked at Truly Fair, where they made all these children's clothes for Lewis's and Kendall's and abroad. And she used to buy them the most beautiful things. But the winter she bought them tights. I really... (laughs) <laughs> really? Oh. The, key, the little leggies warm oh, under the no, pants. It's a bit of a problem, isn't and, it? Uh, well, Paul looked like a girl. He really did. Nobody knew he was yeah, a boy. Yeah, I can see that Paul Nobody knew yeah, he was a boy. Yeah. He looked like a girl. Yeah. Well, the clothes she bought Sean was all right, but she used to buy these little winter suits oh. for Paul with little swan's down fur around him. <laughs> she wanted a girl, did Yeah, she, all the clothes she bought him was all girly yeah. clothes. Yeah. And I couldn't put them in him unless she was coming. And by all accounts, his dad, Derek, was a snappy dresser back in the day. Oh, when I first went out with him, oh, my God, my mother said, oh, it's very nice, but... You can do better than that. Why doesn't he get a nice haircut? Why doesn't he wear a nice suit? And I said, well, he is a nice boy, Mum. He's just different. And I said, I always said I wanted somebody different. I didn't want the run of the mill. And my goodness, did I get somebody different and children that were different. And one of Paul's shopping partners was Rowetta. He was addicted to shopping. For jackets and shoes, especially because we used to go to a place called Brunswick where shoes were half priced. And we used to, there was one near me and there was one in Regent Road, and nobody really knew about it. We just, we'd spend hundreds of pounds on millions of shoes because they were just, they were sometimes they're eight quid for a pair of shoes. And uh, he liked his Converse, and we had, Paul used to love his coats and his leathers and stuff. 
And a lot of them, yeah. they just look the same, but you go and buy them again and again and again. So the last affair, I mean, it's kind of funny when we look back on the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was... <laughs> it was like an Ealing comedy <laughs> at the end. It was, it was. There were three occasions where I caught you and the third occasion was the end of the marriage, but the first occasion was... You'd gone out to a meeting and you came back and you were sitting in the car on your phone mm. and I cre- <laughs> and the window was open and I crept up behind you and grabbed the phone off you. Mm. I don't remember And saw this. this text thread, conversation with you and this woman. Oh. It was obviously there was something going on between you, so I called her. Oh. Do you not remember this? No. And she was really rude to me on the phone. I was like, why are you texting my husband? And saying that you can't wait to see him tomorrow. Oh. And, and I was like, what's... There's nothing going on, we're just friends. She was huh. very posh. <laughs> um, we're just friends, there's nothing going on. Mm. And I was like... and I, You know when you, you get mad and all the moisture from your mouth vanishes? Mm-hmm. I was fuming and I was like, you keep away from my... It was like a proper, like... Uh-huh. <laughs> Fishwife type conversation, <laughs> but she wasn't nice. I didn't like the sound of this woman at all. And of course, you completely denied there was anything going on. So that was at incident number one. So mm. I knew my antenna were then up, mm. and they must have been up in the first place for me to grab the phone off you in the car. Yeah. And then you didn't know that if I had your Apple ID and password, that I could tra- I could track you with find my iPhone. Mm. So one day, a couple of weeks later, you said you weren't going to see her anymore and you weren't even going to be friends with her anymore. And then uh, you said you were somewhere and I checked find my iPhone and you <laughs> weren't where you said you were. You were actually I dropped a, the ball on that you one, did. didn't I? You absolutely dropped the ball. And you were in a car park in Malibu outside a supermarket. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I drive down to you and you're in the car with this woman and I went storming up and uh-huh. caught you in the car. You were just sitting in the car talking. But the fishwife in me came out. And again, <laughs> my mouth was completely dry and I was hoarse. And I was shouting at this woman in this car park and a crowd <laughs> a crowd gathered. Really? And all the, the interesting thing was all of my anger was directed towards her and not you. Mm. Like, why wasn't I shouting at you? I was shouting at her, and it was because she'd been rude to me on the phone earlier and said there was nothing going on. You, you need therapy over this. I think I've dealt with it. Oh, I think, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good about it, aren't I? Yeah. I can laugh about it. Mm-hmm. And it didn't resolve. You came home and still professed that there was nothing going on, and then about a couple of weeks after that, again, find my iPhone. You said you were in one place, but you weren't. You were, you were in Malibu. So I drove my car to where he was on the Pacific Coast Highway. And I'm going to pause the conversation there and play a chunk of that other podcast that I did that I mentioned earlier that was actually the inspiration for this one. You see, after I split with Paul, I went on all kinds of outlandish dates (laughs) and I decided to do a podcast about dating in your 50s. And as I talked about our marriage breakup, I decided that I should really play Paul that episode. (laughs) And it was him listening to that episode that led to the idea of us doing this podcast. So anyway, here's a clip from the other podcast. It's called Accidentally Milf. And this is the dramatic reconstruction of our marriage breakup car chase. Days, it's all 
The adventures began a few years ago on a balmy April night in Malibu. I was suspicious that my husband was having an affair, but he kept denying it. And on one particular Saturday night, he told me he was in one place, but the Find My iPhone app told me differently. So, of course, I drove to find him and see for myself exactly what was going on. I caught up with him in our car, which was pulled into a gas station in Malibu, mid-clinch, with his horrible mistress, who I love to call Leather Lips. <laughs> Come on, I'm allowed one little catty dig, aren't I? She was having an affair with my husband, after all. Come on, give me a bit of a break here. OK, so, he spotted me, and him and Leather Lips took off down the Pacific Coast Highway, and I sped after them in my battered old PT cruiser. The Pacific Ocean was on the right, the sun was setting. It was like a perfect picture postcard backdrop to be having a marriage breakup car chase. I honestly felt like I was in an episode of something like Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> I knew it was dangerous, please don't copy me, but my adrenaline took over. Like my heart was absolutely pounding in my chest. I was absolutely fuming and my mouth was completely dry. I've no idea why, but eventually, after... Probably, I don't know, a couple of minutes of racing down that street. They finally gave up and pulled in. And I jumped out of my car. Do you know what? My heart is pounding as I'm actually telling you this. So I jumped out of the car and other cars and trucks were speeding past me. It was was really lucky that I didn't get knocked down and I honestly felt like time had stood still and all of my movements and words were out of body like I was being controlled by somebody else up above. Like, I really didn't feel I had any kind of control over what was to happen next. So to find out what happens next, tune into the podcast. Accidentally MILF Online Dating Adventures After 50 with my alter ego, Angel Bliss. It was the podcast that inspired this one. So please go and check it out on all the usual podcast platforms. Yeah, I remember the car chase. It was like a movie. It was like the opening scene of a movie. Yeah. Chasing down the PCH. And I don't know why, but eventually you pulled in. What what made you pull in? Why did you stop? Why didn't you just carry on driving? There was no point, was there? <laughs> You're like, fair cop, gov. Yeah. <laughs> and no then point. I got out of my car... Why didn't you take off when I got out of my car? You'd have had a head start. You could have got away. Tired of running. Did you want to be caught? No, I don't know. I don't think so. No, that's horrible. No, I didn't want to be caught. But you just accepted that you had been caught? Yeah. And I said, roll down the window, and you did. Like, why did you do that? I've I've not really... And again... ...analysed this. And I said to you, right, make a choice, her or me... And you said, do you remember what you said? Mm-mm. I just want to be on my own. Mm. And I said, oh, I'll help you pack. Oh. Do you remember that? And dramatic then, ending. Yeah, and then I drove home. And then you appeared back home. I couldn't believe you actually came back. And then the next morning, I helped you pack your stuff. Mm. And you left. Oh, and Vlad was there. My mate Vlad, who was staying with us at the time, had a ringside seat. <laughs> <laughs> and then I you... think you was glad to get rid of me, actually. You know, it took me about two weeks. I was devastated for about two weeks. And then one morning I woke up and I was like, I don't have to worry about him anymore. Mm. And I felt a huge weight 
had lifted off my shoulders. Yeah, I really did. I was really kind of elated that Mm. I didn't have to deal with all that crap anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the best thing about it was that eventually you did break up with this woman. Yeah. And I think if you'd still been with this woman, I don't think I would have been able to be friends friends with you. <laughs> Likewise. No, but it's true. So we spent about a year fighting, really, over you kept coming back to the house and demanding paintings that were yours, and we were we had a tug of love of some... Who, who did the paintings? Who Henry Hill. Henry Hill paintings, that's right. Mm-hmm. So I think we we decided to split them, and you, you took some and I took some. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember arguing about anything else, do you? No, I just wanted my Henry Hill paintings. Yeah. Oh, and I, I sold your jukebox. <laughs> and my space invader machine. It was worth there about was, two grand. There was no room for it, though, in the new house, because I had to... We, I, we then... We, I was given notice from the house that we were living in. We didn't have any money, either. Like, mm. we were really struggling, because mm-hmm. since Chico had been sick, I hadn't worked. Yeah. So, like, finances were really tight. And I think that was one of the reasons that you were pushed over the edge because, like, financially, things were really, really dire mm-hmm. at that point. And I think that woman had quite a lot of money, didn't she? I don't she know. She had to have had something. I don't know. Yeah, she did. You know she did. Anyway, so then... <laughs> so we had about a year where we didn't really get on very well. Mm-hmm. And then we started talking again and you had broken up with her and... You had had to move out of where you were staying, so you'd become friends with Andy Dick through mm. various meetings that you used to go to. Tell me about him and your friendship with him. I met him at one of them self-help groups. Yeah. Over our common love for Converse, the shoe. OK. And I had lots of pairs, different colours, and so did he. And I just became mates with him. Mm-hmm. And we was mates for like two, two and a half. And I'm still mates now. Yeah, I remember the but, night that we, the day we broke up, you mm. went to stay with him in his halfway house where he was staying. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. In Malibu. Yeah. Yeah, he put me up. Yeah, for people in England that don't know much about Andy Dick, just tell tell us who he is. He's an actor, comedian. He does a lot of improv. He's been in quite a few movies. He's been in Simpsons. Yeah. I think it's safe to say if he hadn't got the issues that he has with alcohol, he would be a huge superstar at this point. Yeah. Because he is a comedy genius, isn't he? Yeah, very much so. Really clever, really funny. Yeah. Yeah, but if he hadn't continued with his problems, then he would have Mm. been up there again, Mm. like he was when he was 25. Yeah. And he had bouts with sobriety, because that's when you met him when he was sober. Yeah. And one day you said to me, Andy wants to meet you because you're a producer and he wants to do stuff. So you said, come, I'm staying with him. When you'd broken up with that woman, again, you went to stay with Andy, Mm -hmm. who was then staying with his then wife, but they weren't actually together. But they were still friends. Yeah. Uh, so he was living in a house with her and her kids mm-hmm. and you were sleeping on the sofa there because you'd not got anywhere else to go. That's right. And you invited me round to the house to meet Andy to talk about what projects maybe we'd want to do together. Mm-hmm. And it was really nice. We had a really good like, good few hours chatting about stuff and we came up with an idea and mm-hmm. and it was a really positive, a positive experience. And I met his then wife briefly. And I thought at the time that she was really nice as well. And then New Order were playing 
about two months later and I remember saying to you, can you get me some tickets for New Order? I want to go. And you said, oh, I'll see what I can do. And then you're like, oh, I could only get two tickets and I'm and I'm taking Lena and his wife just to say thank you for me staying there. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think that was... Was that the start of your relationship? It Tell was. me about that. That was it. That was the first date. Yeah. Was it officially a date? It was by the end of the night. So when did you decide that you liked her? Like, what what was the first? Oh, weeks before. Yeah? Yeah, she's just a lovely person. Didn't you see her when you were out with Andy one night and said, who's she? Yeah, that was before I moved. That was before I moved into that house with them. Mm. He was doing a, a show in Santa Monica, a stand-up, and I was playing bass on stage, just playing the bass while he's doing his monologues and stuff. Right. And she was there helping him put the night on. Yeah. And I said to him, who's the girl with the short hair? And he's like, that's my that's my baby mama. She's available. <laughs> so he put the thought into my head months before. Yeah. And then I ended up staying with them. Yeah. And it went from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So very shortly after that, Christmas came around. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had the boys for Christmas, mm-hmm. and um, and you called me on Christmas morning, and you said, "What are you doing for Christmas?" And I was like, "Oh, I just got the boys here." And you're like, "Can we come?" Well. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that day. Who ended up coming? So everybody came. It was me, Lena. So there was like me and you and your new partner and her ex-husband yeah. and their kids yeah. all around the Christmas dinner table. Yeah. Which was actually really cool, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a really good day. Yeah. People still talk about that Christmas dinner. Do they? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not the world's best cook. I'm really not the world's best cook. I don't have a love for cooking whatsoever. I know. But it was good. <laughs> but it was good, that dinner, wasn't it? And, it was and, a good and dinner. And Andy didn't believe that I'd actually made it. Yeah, it was a good dinner. Yeah. Yeah, I, need, I do know you're not a really good cook. <laughs> it's not that I'm not... It's just like I'm not interested in doing it. I, yeah. I, I don't get pleasure from preparing something for three hours that takes ten minutes to then consume by everybody. <laughs> I don't get that cooking thing. I've never had that gene in me. I mean, I like eating food, but it's just that preparation just feels like... Some people like it. ...a waste of time. Some yeah. people don't. So tell us a little bit about what life is like now for mm. Paul Ryder in the present day. Well, I consider myself semi-retired. Right. And um, I have lots of downtime away from the music business. Mm-hmm. And I just relax and take it easy. Yeah, do you feel like you've earned the right to do that? To put my feet up, yeah, definitely. It's yeah. been 40 years. Really? Since we first started, me and our kid, yeah. Wow. 40 years this year. Did you have any idea when you first started the band that 40 years later you'd be doing a podcast talking about no. it? They didn't even exist back then, did they? No. Obviously, I wanted to make it last as long as possible, but 40 years is like a big stretch, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know? From, from the conception of it until today, doing a podcast. Four years is a long time. Why do you think the band has had such longevity? Originality. Right. Just because we was original. 
The music was original, the band was original and genuine, real. Okay, but you were original 40 years ago, but what's kept the interest, do you think, of the fans all those years? I must, I can only presume it's the music, good music. Clint Boone from the Inspiral Carpets has his own thoughts on that. The Mondays inspired me no end. I was like, every time I went seeing an Happy Mondays gig, I literally was, like, down for the next two days because I just thought, we, we can't do what they're doing, we can't be that good. They're, they're, they're another level, they're otherworldly, you know what I mean? And I'd come away and literally just beating myself up about how shit we were. And Stone Roses and Primal Scream bassist Manny has a confession. In a lot of ways, sometimes it'd be like, you'd wish you was in the Happy Mondays and not in the Stone Roses, in, in, in a weird kind of way, you know. It just appealed to me a lot, uh, the, the look of him and the, like, the bastardised funk that they were trying to knock together and stuff like that. And you can hand on the art, you can say there was never any kind of rivalry ever in Manchester. We always like got a like, house on fire and there was a, a mutual respect right there from the get-go, you know. And then it took me a couple of days for people to say, no, you're not, you're great, you're good. I'm like, are you sure? Are we good? I'll give it another go then. Fellow legendary Manchester music icon Peter Hook was close to the band from the very start. You have these great bands in Manchester that changed Manchester, they changed England, they changed the world. I didn't analyse what he did. I just knew he did what he did well, just like the rest of us, and he fitted in well, just mm -hmm. like he did, and it was just cool, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, it, it, was, it was funny because I suppose, if anything, the Mondays music has been spoiled for me by our closeness. Right. You know, I never got to judge them from a distance because mm. I was always so involved with them right from the start. Mm. So whether it was emotionally or anything like that, it, it, I was never able to uh, listen to them in any way, shape or form from an unbiased point of view. Mm. They were always my Happy Mondays. Mm. They were always factory bands, so we were always very clammy. We were always very close. Mm. And it was us against the world. Yeah. Paul and Bez's friendship stretches right back to the very early days when Paul passed a loyalty test after they got into a bit of a scrape. In the early days, none of us had a carry. And Paul used to run the car. I don't know how he'd done it, but it... It was never even uh, to the edge of empty. It was always half, half down the empty. And that car, it, it seems to run like magic on thin air. It used to go everywhere. Anyway, it was that skin. We were uh, starving. And we all competed to practice one day. And we decided, I said, no, go to Morrison's on the way home. And they used to go with Morrison's and fill a shopping trolley up with food and just walk out with it and on the way to the car... I don't know why they never stopped me at the time. It might be because I looked a bit mad. So I threw all this food in the boot, but the security fella got uh, Paul's number, horse's number. And next minute, there's a phone call saying that he's got to go to the police station and all that. And that's when I knew that they'd spawned forever because obviously he never grasped me up and he 
came up with some outlandish story why I was in the car with him. Back in those days, Mark was only just beginning to twig what the band were up to when his back was turned. I was more of a beer monster and they, they disappeared and I wondered why they're coming back happy, what they're doing. I'm smoking weed, weren't they? Didn't they tell me about it. I think why we did drugs is to get over the nerves because I know Paul was very nervous. It was just a way of... Oh, I couldn't give a fuck, let's get pissed, stoned, whatever, and just play and just enjoy ourselves. Don't care what them lot think out there. <laughs> and they saw that, everybody saw that, that we were just enjoying ourselves and we, re- we really didn't... Well, if it ends tomorrow, it ends tomorrow, we'll just go out for a blast. I mean, apart from bears buzzing about and tripping over me wires and causing mayhem, apart from that, I have nothing to worry about. <laughs> 
And this might be because of who I am. I listened to that first album, and I think there's something really, really innovative and different there. And then we got Pills and Thrills, and that was like a DJ's album, Oakenfold. And I always thought the Mondays, and a lot of it down to Sean and Bez, ended up being sort of like clowns. And they would play up, swear on TV, go on, do a TFI Friday, and it would be funny because Sean would come on and he'd try to contain himself not swearing. And they became like a music hall act, which I don't think Paul would have been over the moon about. I've got to be honest with you, I hated that. I thought they sold themselves short. And if they had been able to concentrate musically and develop musically, they could have been a different type of band. Not like a U2 or something like that, even though I'm not a U2 fan. But you know what I mean? And yeah. I suspect Paul wouldn't have wanted that, you know, because he didn't want to clown about. He wanted to be a professional musician. But do you not think it's good for the band, fundamentally? Yeah, it's definitely good for the band. Yeah. Yeah. And Bez has become a bit of a star in his own right as well. I think Bez comes across better on TV than Sean does. Yeah. Did you see him on Dancing on Ice? Only what was on YouTube. What did you think? I thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think he manages to be so likeable? (sighs) He is likeable. Yeah. He's, He's very loyal, Bez. Yeah. Very loyal character. Mm-hmm. Very honest. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of his charm. And the rock and roll mums love him too. Bez was just a fan. Let, let's yeah, get he got up and danced, didn't And he, he got up and danced into yeah. a few gigs. And it was such a, um, a success, shall we say. Yeah. Well, that's why they got him. You know, and, and, and he is. He's got a good personality, Bez, and I'd never say anything against him. You know, he's done very well. Um, and promoted the band in the right way. I'm not too sure how keen everyone else was surrounding me because like, this is like a one-off. And it was actually a Sony, Wilson, who said that I should join the band because I think I reminded me a, lo- a little bit of Ian Curtis, you know, because he's fucking do all that mad sort of uh, freaky sort of dancing. It was like Sony who kind of pushed to the band more than the band did, actually. Yeah, yeah, but dead, and, uh, I was, and I've been on stage ever since, obviously. We never quite reached the dizzy heights that we imagined for ourselves. We wanted to be like you know, the biggest rock and roll band in the world, like, you know, legendary status, rock and roll. We lived the rock and roll lifestyle, but we never like quite managed to get that world recognition. We were uh, young. We had fucking dreams. We were we was having great times, great parties, all really enjoying ourselves. And of course, I uh, in the early days before we could afford, uh, you know, to have our own hotel room. Me and me and Oz used to share rooms together as well. So we 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 spent we, we travelled the world sharing rooms together as well. Uh, and I could tell you a few stories, but I, I better not. <laughs> I mean, he's got a kind of reputation of, of still of being a, a complete caner. Like, do you think that's... He still is a complete caner. How does he manage to look so healthy, though? Because when he's not on stage, he's working out. Yeah. And he lives in the country. And he does a lot of juicing and he's juicing. really into his health, isn't he? 
Yeah, and he's distilled water. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's convinced that gets rid of his grey hair. What, distilled water? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Mm. Have you ever tried it? No, yeah. <laughs> I drink the tap water over here. It's like, that's 90% recycled piss, isn't it? Do you not Do you not have a water filter? Yeah. Easier oh. to get it out the tap. Right, so then it's not... Oh, not in the house is a water no. filter. We have a separate unit that you... Like a jug thing. Right. So obviously without giving away the exact location of where you live, like, tell me about where you live. I live 25 miles away from Palm Springs on the edge of uh, Joshua Tree National Park. Wow, what's that like? Very, very quiet. Mm-hmm. Very quiet indeed. Mm. That's where I like to spend my time. Yeah. Doing not much. So you sound like you've had a, a complete reboot of your life, really. I have, Yeah. Really rebooted. Yeah. I, I couldn't sit still for many years. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't like to stay at home. I had to be out doing something. Mm-hmm. And, and when I was youthful, I had to be out at a club. Yeah. Or, or, or some music venue. Mm-hmm. I had to be out for like six days a week. And what do you think initiated the change? Oh, God, I've slowed down. <laughs> By choice or just naturally. Yeah. So, about three years ago, you uh, earned a new title in your life of being a granddad. Oh yes. <laughs> you weren't very happy about. You were very happy about having a grandchild, but you weren't happy about the name yeah, granddad, were I you? I didn't want to be granddad. I really didn't want to be granddad. And Paul and Sean's mum, Linda, recalls how happy he was to become one. Absolutely over the moon, but he wasn't being called Grandad. But I am now used to it. Right, so at the beginning they they used to call you a different word, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So because Lila's other Grandad in Arabic is Gidu, he fancied being called Gidu. I have two granddaughters, Lila and Bridget, and Lila is the oldest. She's now at school, and her father is Egyptian, and Gidu is the, is the word for granddad mm-hmm. in Egypt. So I was Gidu for a while. Then one day, Lila was crying, and we said, what's the matter? She said, I've not got a granddad, and my friends have got a granddad. So Amelia said to her, of course you've got a granddad. She said, Paul's your granddad. Oh, but you call him Gidu, like Uh, you call your other granddad Gidu. Yeah. So she but I don't want two Gidus, I want a granddad. (laughs) So Paul said, you've got a granddad. So yeah. ever since then, it was all right because yeah. she knew she wanted a granddad. And I've been granddad ever since. Oh. And yeah. then it was all granddad, granddad, granddad. And now do you, do you not mind the title? No, I love it. And even the other day, she said to me, Does everybody get upset because granddad's not here? Because I do. And what's Bridget like as a baby? She's still baby, baby, just yeah. sleeping all the time. So yeah. I get to see her next week. I've not seen her for a couple of months. So you're quite fortunate, really, in that 
your job with the band takes you back to England a lot so you can keep in touch with your family? At least seven times a year. Wow. For, for different lengths of time. And do you still hold a candle to Manchester because it's where, you, where you're from and where everything was born? Yeah, of course, it's Manchester. It's a great place to be born. Yeah. Yeah, so I've got two granddaughters. And when you first asked me to do this podcast thing, it was like, no, no thanks, it's not really me. I don't really like being interviewed and stuff like that. But then I thought, what about the granddaughters? You know, that maybe they want to listen back to Granddad in twenty years' time. You know, and this podcast will still be floating around, hopefully. Yeah. So one of the reasons I'm doing it is for the, for them to. Yeah. So they can find out who Granddad was. But also, as well, I think to redress some of the myths. Oh yeah, definitely wanted to do that, which I think I've done. I mean, if anyone's got any questions, please. Yeah. Get them to me, and I'll put the myth. Right. Yeah. Well, obviously we're going to carry on, even though we've kind of virtually brought it up to present day, we're going to carry on doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. And so any questions are really welcome, aren't they? Yeah. And there are some myths still to be busted, but, you know, it's important to set the record straight, isn't it? Yeah, I wanted to... to say it. It's been 40 years. Let's, let's have the truth. Right. You know? Yeah. Very right. brave of you, though, to do that as well. Yeah, well, the truth will set you free. Yeah, and, and even when the truth isn't really particularly pretty, mm-hmm. at least it's the truth. Yeah. And, and there's not, like, lies floating round about you. Yeah. Which true. there have been a lot of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the last thing... Well, two more things we need to talk about. Number one is, where are we up to right now in terms of the Mondays and any plans? I mean, you've got some tours coming up, but any plans to actually release any new material? Do you still have an aspiration to um, do that? I'd love to release a new album. It's just whether me and Sean are getting on well enough to work together. Mm. Are you willing to actually put out an olive branch to make that happen? Uh, wow, I've given him an olive tree. <laughs> More than once. Yeah. Never mind a branch. I've given him a tree on a few occasions and he's not taken it. So, you know, I don't know where he's up to. Do you think he will? Possibly. Yeah. It's quite possible. Never say never. We can all live in hope, can't we? Yeah. Do you think you've all still got it in you to create new stuff? Oh, God, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. We're playing better than ever. Yeah. You know, our show's a really good, tight band. Yeah. And Sean's singing better than ever. Do you actually enjoy performing now? Yeah, I don't puke up before I go on stage anymore. (laughs) Phil Sachs, their former manager, thinks they could have been more successful without all of that. Musically, they never really developed. They got overtaken by fame and by the Manchester scene and dance music and the drugs and people making money. I mean, Bez was in the Sunday Times this week where he goes on holiday, right? All this, I'm a celebrity, getting me out of stuff I'd never watch. Gogglebox and stuff. People say, brilliant, I've never watched it. I don't like seeing people I had very, very high regard for as musicians and innovators becoming clowns, basically. Sean won't like me saying that, but I think that's basically it. Monday's drummer Gaz Whelan thinks that in this day and age, it's probably a necessity to do these things. 
I think times have changed and I think now you kind of have to. I think people like Tony Wilson's ideas of things or Bob Dylan these days, you wouldn't get a sniffing. Times have changed. And I think you've got, you, you do what you've got to do. And I think there was, there was a bit of friction between me and Paul with, I mean, me and Paul, friction between me and Paul versus Sean because Sean probably felt like me and Paul felt like that. And we probably did back then. We kind of got used to it and kind of warmed and warmed to it and, got, and accept it now. But we were very old-fashioned in the way of keep it rock and roll and it should be about the music and about the art. And Sean was like, don't be naive, times have changed. And no one's wrong. I think it's just different. Well, I'm doing my own stuff. I want to still do it the old way and it'll probably be, do, be to my detriment. But I know that it's Paul on my shoulder all the time. Don't make a dick of yourself. I think they sold themselves short. And maybe it's a way of working class lads. Maybe working class lads do that. You look at Oasis and you look at Blur and you know which groups are working class lads, don't you, really? OK, so the other things that we have to talk about, things coming up in the future. Mm-hmm. Number one is, of course, this podcast, which obviously by now everybody knows about. Mm-hmm. But also there's a book in the works. Yeah. Tell us about that. A book of the podcast. Yeah, well, We're it's going, kind of... Maybe going into a little bit more nitty-gritty. Yeah. Um, but there will be a book. And the other project that you're doing in collaboration with Gaz is a movie. Is the movie. <laughs> the movie. <laughs> Tell Lo- us about... Loosely based on some of the Mondays' stories. Well, kind of inspired by. OK, inspired by. So it's about a Manchester band who existed 20 years ago. 25 years ago. 25 years ago. And they're offered this uh, great chance to get back together. Right. But with a unsavoury type manager. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, it's not exactly the story of the Mondays. It's just a comedy drama Mm -hmm. inspired by yours and Gaz's experience of being in the Mondays. But that's where the similarity kind of ends, I guess. Yeah, we'll we'll keep it at that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but you and Gaz have been brilliant. Yeah. um, Sharing some ideas for anecdotes and stories. And Mm. you'll also have cameo roles in the film, won't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it won't be a drug dealer this time. You always get typecast as a drug dealer. I know, I'm always a drug dealer. Yeah. wonder why that is. Mmm, funny that. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, the rock and roll mums are going to be cast in there as well. When we end up doing the movie, would you two like to be in it? <laughs> oh, that is a joke. Oh, God. Oh, Angela. <laughs> It'd have to, have to have an X rating. <laughs> hey, but it won't be your, it won't be your screen debut, will it? Because you've already been in a you've already been in another of our productions, haven't you? Oh, oh yes. Oh, God. Have you seen it? on? It's on YouTube, Sandra. Yes, Linda and Sandra, along with their friend Kathleen, appeared as extras in a show that my company made called Con Men Case Files, where they played the parts of victims of a fake psychic in our old kitchen in Manchester. I remember that. I remember that. Didn't we have a laugh? Mm. One a laugh. Oh, God. So the film is in development right now Mm -hmm. and there's some financing attached. So um, in the next, uh, I would say, probably 18 months to two years, you should be seeing. Seeing (laughs) seeing and hearing about it. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay, great. Brilliant. Well, we're going to play another track. Thanks. All right. Yeah. Thank you for being okay. amazing. Sunday morning. <laughs> you should have been at church. Well, you can do that next week, maybe. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. 12 days after this recording was made, Paul was dead. I asked Monday's guitarist Mark to relive that terrible day. Can we go back to the the horrible day when he died? Can you talk talk about what happened that day? Yeah. Um well, the, you sure you want this? We've got a gig um the day before we did a rehearsal. Paul Kerr turned up with his daughter, Amelia. He didn't look too good, but he was saying he'd had a um, COVID jab and he thinks it's affected his hearing. So he couldn't play, which was very unusual because he normally, you know, he tried, but he just couldn't play. So it was obviously there was a, a problem there. And last thing I said to Paul was, See how you are in the morning, and if it's if you're not an improvement, go and see a doctor. Well, the next thing I get a phone call in the morning, Mila rang me up and says she sounded very stressed and emotional. And I said to Jane, What is it, Paul? You might need to go to the hospital. So when I got there, he was just on the couch, just pale. He'd been dead for a while. Then the paramedics came in and they just looked and said, No, he's been gone for a while, you know. But it's not, not the thing I wanted to see, really, you know. That well, must have been hugely traumatic for you. And that, it was, because, yeah. It's just, you know... Um, and then it got a bit worse. Mark and his wife had tried CPR on Paul, but it was too late. The rest of the band all gathered at the house. Gaz Whelan, the Monday's drummer, was struck by how hard Mark was hit by the tragedy. He's not the most emotional of people. And he was absolutely beside himself. And I went, and when I got out to London, he was just bawling his head out. And he said, and he had an argument with Sean and him, and, and, and he said, I just can't cope, I've got to, got to go. And he said, but I don't want to leave him. And I've never seen Mark like that, ever, ever. Rowetta, too, was absolutely devastated. Sean was saying we should still do the gig at some point as well. And I was like, I can't, I can't even get on the bus. I can't travel anywhere today without him being there. It's just impossible. People were ringing, asking... Could you do the gig? Sean wants to do the gig, which is just mad. I didn't understand that. And he was having a go at Mark Day. It's not, it's not up to you, it's up to her, talking about his mum, when I got there. Mark was adamant that they couldn't play. Do we do the gig or not, you know? No, he's on the floor, he's, he's, he's dead, he's on the floor. We're not doing a gig, you know, fans and all fans, it's not, it's not happening. Gaz remembers how hard it was when they had to do their first gig without Paul just a week later. And even the first gig we did in Scotland without without us, without Paul, and we was driving home, and Mark just leaned over to me and said, we're going to be home on time. And I went, I know, he went, it's not the same without stopping every 30 minutes for Paul to have a cig and you have a piss. <laughs> so I have a piss every 30 minutes. And he just looked at me, and Mrs Mark, and tears rolling down his eyes, he just put his head on my shoulder, and we both just started... And I know we're going all Hollywood, but we both just started tears through now, hadn't it? It just really... And you know what? And Rowetta as well. She took it really bad, and she's been really good on the stage. Every gig she's mentioned him. Every gig. Every gig. Bez had a double tragedy that day. 
I couldn't believe it. And I rushed straight down to the house and he was still laying in the, the front room, marking trying and doing some mouth-to-mouth on him. And the, yeah, they were so shocking to see when you're your best mates late lay there dead and uh, I'll, ne- I'll never forget you know, his face because he looked really angry to me because he, he looked like he didn't, it wasn't his time to go. And then my dad died about five hours later as well, which was double, double death in one day. We tried to make Paul's funeral the send-off that he would have wanted. The music playing as his coffin was being carried into the church. If you had to pick one Manchester track that you, would be your go-to, what, what's your kind of favourite seminal Manchester track? Ooh. It would probably be a New Order song. Yeah. And probably Ceremony. Ceremony, you said yeah. that before, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, Ceremony was the song that we played as his coffin was being carried by his three sons and Sean, Gaz and his childhood friend Carl into the church. And we had two people who were singing. Loved the bunny man. Discovered them again. I saw them last year. They were playing the same festival as the Mondays, yeah. and um, it was great. I stood at the side of the stage and, and watched the bunny man. Nice. Incredible. Yeah. Ian yeah, yeah. still got yeah, it. Yeah. Gas said to him, "Best band in the world," and the colour turned around and said, "I know." Did he? <laughs> <laughs> playing nothing lasts forever was. The man himself, Ian McCulloch, the singer from Echo and the Bunnymen, and Rowetta made sure that there wasn't a dry eye in the house when she sang Bridge Over Troubled Water, but she found it really, really difficult. I'm not doing any more, that's all I've said, that's it now. It's, oh, it's, it was just a blur. I love, well, I hate singing, I hate the idea of funerals. So it was just awful, but, but very proud as well, because, you know, I do, I do I feel like I'm family in a way. I've known him for so long. All the children, everybody. So yeah, and yeah, it was just—it's it just, just horrible, isn't it? And it's just—it's just the kids, such a shock, as you know. But um, oh, we just all miss him so much, obviously. And the music playing as his coffin was being carried out of the church. Eight years old, and David Bowie comes on doing Starman with a big blue acoustic guitar. I'd never seen a blue guitar before in my life. And then he looked like he'd stepped out of another world. And it was like, my life changed at that moment. Yeah, it was Starman by David Bowie. But the really weird thing is that I had no idea that a few years before, Paul had told his friend Jason that those three songs are exactly what he wanted at his funeral. When we was working out in France in 2006... Morbid as we were, we'd often speak about, you know, if I die, will you come to my funeral? If you die first, will I come to your funeral? And I was like, yeah, of course I'll come to your funeral. I was like, would you come to mine? He went, nah, nah, couldn't be asked. I was like, oh, that's great. And then we'd speak about what songs we'd have played at our funeral. And he'd said to me that without question, it would be Ceremony by New Order, which we both thought was a poignant and great choice and then it was Starman and he also said that he'd like Echo and the Bunnymen and of course Ian got to sing the song at Paul's funeral which the music that day just you know like I said walking into the church and ceremony was playing I just took me back to that day when we was on that patio thinking I never thought this would happen and here we are yeah Um, well I remember 
Well, on the day of the funeral, I remember thinking it was going to be really hard seeing Sonny and Chico carrying the coffin. And we got down and they picked the coffin up and we were walking along into the church. I thought, oh, I can do this. This is okay. Right. I can do this. And then I heard ceremony start. And I was like, oh. (laughs) Some really moving speeches, including one from Paul's dear friend, Ian Brown, who had everyone in tears. As funerals go, we think it's exactly what Paul would have loved. There was apparently even some naughty behaviour going on. Allegedly witnessed by Peter Hook. I'll tell you one thing that happened at the funeral that was fucking amazing, right? <clears throat> uh, I bumped into outside. Now, there was only one toilet at the funeral, right? And it was a long service. Yeah. Wonderful. It doesn't bother me in one iota. But of course, all those old blokes needed a piss, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, at the end, as everybody was coming out, there was a big queue for the toilet. Oh, okay. At the head of the queue was the priest <laughs> waiting to go in. So okay. anyway, I'm stood there with this <laughs> and says to do you want a line? Do you want, are you coming to the bog okay? Because I mean, I've not done drugs for 18 years. So I said, no, mate, you go on your own. And my abiding memory of that is watching <laughs> and push the priest out of the way when they went in the toilet to have a fucking line at Paul Ryder's funeral, right? And I just thought, my God, Manchester, what a place. I'm sure Hooky was just simply mistaken and they were just both desperate to pee, right? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. We're playing out with Paul's favourite big arm track, and that is Love Is. So we're almost at the end of this phase of the series where 
Paul and I are the main interview spine of the episodes. But we've decided to keep the series going by playing you some more of the extended versions of the interviews with our fab guests. There's such brilliant material that we didn't get to use and so many people have said that they didn't want this to end. So we're calling it season two, the bonus interviews. We'll continue next week with everyone's favourites. Yes, the rock and roll mums, Linda and Sandra. We'll be doing the whole show next time. And there's also a few more bits and pieces of Paul that we've saved, as well as a lot of home video footage that we've not used. So you will see more of him popping up from time to time as the weeks unfold in these bonus episodes. So please come back next week and join us. Thank you all for making this a consistently chart-topping show, both in the UK and Ireland, and in loads of other foreign countries as well. I know we've, we've been in the charts in something like 25 different countries. Paul would have been absolutely blown away, I know, and I'm sure he's listening, watching from up there. Please stay connected with us via our website, paulrider.tv, where you'll find our socials and our shop. Have a brilliant week. See you next week. Please come back, same time, same place.
the same throughout his life fame fortune he was always the same guy oh no airs and graces no pretensions he was a wonderful yeah. guy miss him so much <laughs> 